In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve disciples. And as they were at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one? And he replied, it is one of you twelve who is eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it and he broke it. gave it to his disciples and he said take it for it's my body gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives where he was arrested, where he was taken to trial, taken to Pilate, scourged, beaten, executed. Where his body was broken and his blood was poured out. I did get Pam to read a bit more at the beginning than what I remembered. So thank you, Pam. Poor Pam kept looking at me going, do I stop now? This week, while I was um, spending a bit of leisure time, I came across an old computer game that's been archived on the internet for Aladdin. Do you remember Aladdin? And it, it's really old and sad computer game, but, but I found myself singing the, the tune of Aladdin, yeah, humming it for the next few hours or the next little while. And I was thinking this morning that there's actually something of the story of Aladdin. Do you all know the story of Aladdin? I'm sure you do. If you haven't... With the lamp and, and all of that. Now, in the Disney animated version of Aladdin, there is the Princess Jasmine. 
Now, if I remember correctly, it's been at least six months since I've watched the movie. If I remember correctly, Jasmine, the princess, goes out and wants to escape the confines of the castle. Is this ringing any bells? And so she dresses as a commoner, and she walks among the market, and she loves it. And being a princess, she doesn't understand anything about economics, and she gives some food to, um, I don't know if it's the monkey or just the kid, and is then chased, and eventually she reveals herself as the princess. Here is the princess hiding in plain sight amongst her people. And yet when she is revealed as the princess, everybody changes how they react to her. All of a sudden, she is the one to be obeyed. She is the one to be listened to. Except for the nasty guy who wants to marry her because he wants the king. It's a complicated story. But there's something of the, the, that same sort of thing at Easter, where we have not a princess, but we have the king hiding in plain sight. The question of who Jesus is is one of the most important questions out there. Uh, Christianity claims that Jesus is God himself, that he is the only rightful ruler. Thank you, Pam. I'm going to swat you if you sit right there. He's the only rightful ruler of, of all things. If Jesus is who he claims to be, if he is God, then it is the most sensible thing in the world to accept him, to follow him, to trust him. If he is not who he says he is, if he is not God's king, if he is not the saviour, if he is not God, then says Paul, speaking specifically of his resurrection, we are to be pitied more than all other people. The Jewish authorities, we read in that uh, reading over there, certainly reject that Jesus is God's chosen king. They reject that he is the son of God. They take him to Pilate for execution and they're their charge against him, as John records it is, he's a criminal. If he was a criminal, why would I follow him? The Gospels tell us they, the chief priests wanted to be rid of Jesus because they were jealous of him, but the charge that they bring against him to Pilate is, is very cleverly thought up. The synoptics tell us more details. Obviously, Pilate is told by them that Jesus is claiming to be a king. A king is a political title in that world. Not, not kings and queens like we've got these days with our constitutional monarchies. It's more like what Colin, you will experience in the Middle East, where the king is absolute and what he says goes. It's a political title and it's one that hadn't been used in Israel at that time um, in recent history. The last king of Israel was, was Herod the Great. For Pilate, for someone to claim to be king was, was for someone to say we will challenge Rome's authority. And there were many such challenges. There were many insurrectionists. Barabbas was an insurrectionist. Just a few years later, Jerusalem uh, would be raised because of Israel's rebellion against Rome. Pilate questioning Jesus starts with the big question. Are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? Now I must suspect that 
that Pilate probably didn't think Jesus the most likely person to be a king. One man arrested by himself without any violence from a backwater part of the region anyway. But he's duty bound to investigate. And who knows, maybe Jesus is is a very clever insurrectionist who's got his troops hidden away, his, his rebels in hiding, guerrilla warfare. And it's interesting here as we, as we listen in on Pilate's interrogation of Jesus. Because just as we saw last week in the garden where, where Jesus was arrested, and you'd think the power was with the arresting party, but we saw no, it was Jesus who was directing events. So too, although it seems like Pilate is the one in charge of the situation, it is Jesus who directs where this conversation goes. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus doesn't answer directly. He says, tell me what you mean by that question. Is this your question or is it somebody else who is, who is spoken to you about me? Because if it's your question, if it's a political question, if you're saying, are you claiming to be a, a, a king who will challenge Rome? The answer obviously is no. Jesus was known to pay his taxes. He said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. However, if the question that Pilate is asking is a theological question, if if Pilate is saying, are you the messianic king of Israel? Are you the one sent by God to rule over his people? Then Jesus' answer would be yes. No, I do not come to, to destroy Rome's power. Yes, I come as God's chosen ruler. Not only over Israel, but over all things. Pilate, being thoroughly anti-Jewish, there's the records that we have of him um, say that he was a horrible man to the Jews. He wasn't much liked. He, he recoils at Jesus' question. What? You think I'm a Jew? Jesus explains. Yes, he is the ruler of a kingdom but not a kingdom originating with people. What he says is that if his kingdom was like any other kingdom of this world, then surely when he was arrested, his followers would have fought to keep him free. Kingdoms don't last long if you don't protect the king. That's why when you have a kingdom, one of the first things you do is you set up an army. You set up people to defend you. The reason why there's still all that trouble in Syria, uh, not even Syria, but all those places in the Arab Spring where the government was overthrown, some of them fell quickly because the army turned against the government. Egypt. Others of them, the army, there were loyal elements still looking after those in authority. That's what those in authority have. They want someone to protect them. Jesus says, if I was just another earthly ruler with an earthly kingdom, my followers would have fought to protect me. Now we remember last week, uh, Peter 
who didn't quite get the gospel, even after three years with Jesus, did take out his sword and did bravely slash at the one unarmed person probably in the group, took off his ear, and Jesus immediately said, Peter, man, stop it. That's not what I'm on about. In fact, the synoptic gospels, I think Luke tells us that, that Jesus healed Malchus's ear. Jesus says, mine is not a normal kingdom. Mine is not a kingdom from this world. Of course, Pilate, being politically minded, all he hears is, well, yes, I do have a kingdom. And he says, aha, so you are a king. If you're a king, then you must be like any other king, because let's be honest, kings are kings. And you must be liable for execution. Jesus' reply, the theologian Dodd puts it well. He, he says, Jesus says something along the lines of, King is your word, not mine. His kingdom, says Jesus, isn't about human power, it's about God's truth. Jesus didn't merely come to set up yet another human kingdom. He came to reveal the true king. In Jeremiah 10.10, we read that the Lord is the only true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. Jesus claimed throughout the Gospels to be the truth. What he's saying to Pilate here, he's saying, I came to testify to the truth. I came here to witness to who God is, the God who is truth, the God who is absolutely true. And I came to witness to myself, the Son of God, the King of kings, the, the high king above all other kings, the king of the kingdom under which all other kingdoms must come. Not an earthly kingdom, but a kingdom that is from above, that is from God. I came to testify to the truth under which all else must come. Pilate's view of the world has absolutely no room for such a grand idea as truth, though. He'd fit right into our culture. His, his world is a world where truth is defined by how much power you've got. He leads Jesus. What is truth? Doesn't expect an answer. Perhaps he thinks Jesus is a lunatic. Certainly he does not think of him as a king. And yet, he goes out and announces him as such. He says, Would you like me to release to you the king of the Jews? Or a notorious criminal Barabbas? A violent man, the sort of man that, that would see Rome crush Israel. A murderer. Just as much a danger to the population as he is a danger to the might of Rome. And ironically we see the one who would stand against Rome being released and the one whose kingdom is not from this world being sent in for flogging. And even in the flogging, I think John wants us to see that there is, 
there is a deeper truth happening here. You see, the soldiers take Jesus and beat him. Now this flogging, mind you, is not the severe flogging, I I think, um, following some theologians, I don't think that this is the severe flogging that Jesus experienced just before his execution. John doesn't tell us about that. There were three levels of flogging under the Roman system. There was a, a, a light flogging, basically beating you to a pulp so that people would say, okay, he's been, he's been punished. Then there was a hard beating, which you'd probably be laid up for months kind of thing. And then there was the severest beating, which was what they did often when they would execute someone. This is the light beating. But it's a beating. And what we see here is that as they flog him, the soldiers picking up on what he is accused of being a king, they find it just as laughable as Pilate does. And so they maliciously crown him with with a crown of thorns. Um, Some people say that it's made from the leaves of the of the date palm, which has got long thorns, pressed down on his head. They clothed him in royal purple. Purple was a very expensive color. I think it was made from shellfish. And they clothed him in a royal robe. They honor him. They, they mock him. They, they, they cry, Hail King Jesus! Which is an imitation of a greeting reserved for Caesar alone. On the surface, it seems like this is a horrible thing to do, mocking someone. But I think John wants us to to see perhaps the Aladdin incident here. You see, if Jesus was, as he claimed, the king of truth, if he is the high king of heaven, then their actions are in reality, a mocking distortion of what should have happened. If he is the king who made all things, who rules all things, who has authority over all other authorities, then on seeing Jesus, they should have, they should have fallen to the ground. They should have honored him with, with a royal robe. They should have placed the richest of crowns on his head. They should have bowed to him and said, Hail, King! Hail, the Son of God! John started his Gospel by saying that Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. But the great irony of the Easter story is that they unwittingly call him what Jesus claimed to be, what what we claim that He is. They recognize Him even when they refuse to recognize Him. There's an irony in that. They crown Him. This is His coronation ceremony. A twisted, mocking version of it. And the sight of this coronated Jesus 
was meant, I think, to be so absurd as to pacify the crowd. How could this beaten, bloodied man be dressed as a king? How could he be a king? And Pilate brings him out and says, look, here is your king. And and instead of saying, oh yes, it's absurd, Pilate, of course he can't be the king. Instead of of them saying, okay, he's he's learned his lesson, they cry out louder and louder. And Pam, you read this bit beautifully for us. Crucify him! Crucify him! Execute him! He is not someone to be pitied. He is someone offensive to us. The real issue it comes out now is not that, that he was claiming to be a king. That, that is just part of the story. He is only king because he claims to be the son of God. The real issue is that Jesus claimed equality with God, that he claimed to be God. And we've heard in Jeremiah chapter 10, 10, that the Lord is the only true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. And they say to Pilate, no, he must die. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the everlasting king. Pilate lived in a world where stories of God's appearing were common. And so he, he rushes in, probably full of superstition, ideas. What sort of man is this? How do you fit into my religious worldview? He says, where do you come from? He's not saying, where do you come from? Where were you born? He's saying, where are you from? Where is your origin? Are you just a human? Are you a visiting God? What are you? And Jesus refuses to be fit into Pilate's precast boxes. He, he, he just sits there silent and Pilate loses it. Talk to me! Don't you know that I've got the power to execute you or to set you free? Talk, talk, talk! I love the fact that John tells us that, that Pilate is more afraid than before. Pilate has lost his cool way back. This is not a reasoned inspection by Pilate. He thinks, I am the one with the power here. I am the one representing Rome. I am the one who should say what goes. And I've got to deal with these Jews who keep pushing me in ways that I I don't want to go. And and, and now this guy won't talk to me. And and, and I don't know where he fits in. Am am I being confronted with, with, um, with, with power from other humans? Am I being confronted with power from God? I don't know. Am I being confronted with power from the God? I don't know. Jesus, speak to me. Of course, he has the power to execute you. But, says Jesus to him, you only have that power, Pilate, because you are allowed to have that power. You're not the ultimate authority in this room, Pilate. Neither is Caesar the ultimate power in this place. There is a higher authority, a kingdom above Rome, the kingdom of God. The authority for Jesus to die lies not ultimately with Pilate, but with God. It is not Rome that forces Jesus to die. It is God that allows Jesus to die. And if Jesus is God, 
if he is the Son of God, if he is the King sent from God, the only true King, the everlasting King, the only true God, if he is the King of that kingdom that rules all others, then the authority in that interrogation lies not with Pilate, but with Jesus. Don't you realize I've got the power to crucify you? Actually, you're being allowed to have that power. Actually, Jesus is allowing Pilate the power of regicide, killing a king for the sake of the citizens of his kingdom. Pilate was sure that Jesus was no criminal. He was sure that he was no king. Perhaps he sensed something different about him. There was that element of fear in him. But his life was ruled not by philosophical ideas of a higher power, of a kingdom of truth, of God's kingdom, of a, of a king of kings and lord of lords. His, his authority, his life was ruled by human power, by the truth of the sword. The emperor of the time, Tiberius, had, a, had, had quite a reputation for eliminating his enemies swiftly. And the Jewish people had a bit of a reputation for sending emissaries to Rome to complain about the governors. There was a, an official title back then called a friend of Caesar, which you were given if you were particularly loyal, if you were a good servant to Caesar. One last time, Pilate tries to do the right thing. And at the same time, he reacts childishly against these people who have been pushing his buttons all day. He brings out the bloodied and battered Jesus and says, Look, here is your king. John loves it when people say things. that he believes are true even when they don't believe. Instead of rejoicing, they cry for his death. And they reject not just the man Jesus as their king, but they reject God as king. And this, I think, is, is a very telling part of this. You see, throughout the Old Testament, the the, the Israelites are reminded again and again that there is but one king, that God is the only true God, that God is the everlasting king. When Israel first asked for a king to rule over them, God said to Samuel, Samuel, it's not you that they're rejecting, it's me that they are rejecting as their king. And even when God then put kings in place, those kings were merely, well, they, they weren't kings like the other nations completely, they were, they were like our prime minister who our Prime Minister is responsible to the Queen of England for some strange reason. The kings of Israel of old were responsible to God, the High King. But here, as they call for Jesus, accused of being a man who claimed to be the King, 
Not only do they reject Jesus as their king, they turn and say, we have no king but God. No, we have no king but Caesar. We reject not only him, we reject God. We have no king but Caesar. John must have thought about this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 23, when he wrote that anyone who has the Son has the Father as well, and if you reject the Son, you've rejected the Father. Charged as a criminal, thought harmless of confusing, rejected with God. Jesus, the man who claims to be king, who claims to have a kingdom that is not from this world, who claims to witness to the truth which is himself, is lifted up on, onto his cross. Enthroned there for all the world to see above him stands the charge against him. Written in three languages, all the languages of the known world, the local language, Aramaic or Hebrew, the language of of trade and commerce, the equivalent of English, Greek, and the official language, Latin, the king of the Jews. If he was just a criminal or a lunatic, it's a laughable, tragic charge. But if it's the truth, the king is raised for all to see. Now, as we read through this passage, we see time and again that the big issue here is whether Jesus is the king or not. And John seems to delight, because John is is 100% certain that Jesus is the king. He seems to delight in writing about people who admit that, even though they rebel against the idea. Pilate, time and again, says, here's the king. If but a criminal, if but a human try-hard king, if just another man from just another kingdom of man, then Jesus' treatment was shameful and horrific. At best, a punishment for insurrection, which doesn't fit the facts. At worst, an innocent man bullied to death for jealousy and political reasons. But if Jesus was no criminal, if he is the everlasting king, not from this world but from above, if he is God with us, if he is the son of God, then every charge against him was inadvertently an unveiling of the truth. If he was the king, then this passage drips with irony because he is recognized as such even as he is sent to his death. Is this a king hiding in plain sight? Is this a king recognized even when rejected? There is only one way to know whether this this person, 
was a king, was the son of God, was the truth. If Jesus is the king, if he is God, if he is the source of life, then not even death will hold him back. 